You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. originally was for Neil Blomkamp to direct a movie based on the video game Halo. He'd already directed a trilogy of short films to promote the release of Halo 3, and Peter Jackson wanted to produce Blomkamp's first full-length movie. Luckily, funding fell through, leaving Jackson and Blomkamp open to other projects. They decided to go with a film based on one of Blomkamp's other short films, one entitled Alive in Joburg, a mockumentary about aliens stranded in Johannesburg. Blomkamp and his wife Terry Tatchell got to work on the script for District 9, which was later nominated for a Best Adapted Screenplay. The film was also nominated for a total of four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, the first mockumentary film ever to hold that honor. While District 9 deals with harsh themes such as racism and xenophobia, Elysium, Blomkamp's second film, deals with segregation, class distinction, abuse of power, as well as a host of other topics. Tonight we're going to discuss these two films and see which one did a better job of gripping and entertaining us. We'll start with District 9. Before we get into the story, what are your overall thoughts and feels about District 9? District 9 is easily one of my favorite movies of the last few years, like... I'm a huge sci-fi fan when it comes to uh, movies, like, like we, we've said with The Hobbit. And I, I prefer to watch sci-fi but read fantasy, So, I, especially when it's that imperfect sci-fi, you know, stuff like Blade Runner, stuff like RoboCop, you know, it, even more serious films like The Abyss. It, it's not the clean Star Trek sci-fi that I really love. It's the things that are more realistic and really leaning more on the science side of things than the fiction. Well, that's something that he said that he wanted to go with for this as well. He didn't want something that was sleek and clean and glossy. He wanted an 80s gritty sci-fi feel. Yeah, and you can definitely see that that feeling come across, and it's probably why the movie resonated so well with me. And it's hard to tell when you're watching it, too, if you know a little bit about what went into it production-wise, if if that's all entirely on purpose. Because, I mean, the, this was a $30 million budget, which is it's ridiculous. a joke. It, it's done well for itself. Box office of 211, just shy of 211 million. So it's obviously made its money and then some. But because of that and because of the restrictions in terms of who they went with for the special effects and all that, you wonder whether, again, yes, he's saying he wanted something gritty, but I'm sure part of that was just also that there was only so much money in the budget for the movie. Well, But it works. I don't know because I, I think it's honestly cheaper and easier to do effects for a clean sci-fi movie. Like doing dirt is hard. Well, yes and no, but it's also the amount that you put in. So there's a lot less. Oh, if you okay, look yeah. at this compared to Elysium, say, 
there's a lot less. And I'm not knocking it. It did a far better job. And I like it when they do it that way where it relies more on um, the story and, and real things that you can appreciate and relate to versus just crapped loads of special effects. Sure. So, so it definitely worked. And it works also in this case because, again, it's presenting this this documentary style with the shaky cam and everything. So you can't have something that's going to be sleek and perfect with that. You want something that is gritty. So it, it pulls that off beautifully. In terms of the cinematics, even though a lot of thought went into the cinematics for – cinematography, I should say, for, um, for Elysium – and how they change it from shaky cam on Earth versus everything really smooth on Elysium. Like a lot of thought went into it. But you really can't beat that heart in your throat feeling in some of the moments in District 9. Mm-hmm. And as Blomkamp has said, like they, they took very different like even approaches with their camera work. Like all, all the scenes at the beginning and at the end that are, you know, the, the news footage, the actual documentary footage, those were filmed on just normal, like, hand cameras that you can go buy at Best Buy if you wanted to. I mean, they're expensive ones, but, you know, it's still mass uh, market production stuff. And then the parts in the middle that weren't the documentary footage were done on more professional cameras. And it's really hard to tell the difference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, it's the the editing throughout was was spectacular. So just to, to briefly talk about the story, of course, it is a documentary, a wall mockumentary, obviously, and it's in an alternate 1982. An alien ship has arrived, but and I like how they say it too. It, it didn't land like we expected in Washington or <laughs> Moscow or whatever. I can't remember if they said Moscow, but I believe so. It landed over Johannesburg. And no coincidence, that's where <laughs> Blomkamp's from. So he was able to draw from a lot of what he knows having grown up there. But I like that too. And I like how a lot of what we see in the film is something that we here won't see in North America. We might see some of it, but not to the degree that you get there. Like when you're looking at what happens with the alien. So again, they, they they finally go up into the ship. They find a whole bunch of aliens that are starving to death. They bring them back down to earth and they set them up in a slum that is then called district nine in Johannesburg. And then you find out almost immediately that the government has hired a private military company, the multinational United MNU to, to move all of the inhabitants of the District 9 to what amounts to a concentration camp. And so that's basically the bulk of the story is that process they're trying to do and then how it goes horribly awry. But it's funny when you look at – well, not funny, but (laughs) (laughs) the coincidences and similarities with – how often this type of thing has happened 
in South Africa and how they're alluding to District 6, which was a quote-unquote whites-only area in Cape Town in 66, where they displaced 60,000 people, forcibly removed them. And there's a lot of different things like that where there are relocations, of forced relocations of, of, of large groups of people. And then so when you're dealing then with the, the implied racism and xenophobia, but this is between species, not between races. Again, it, it ties so well with that location, knowing the, the, the horrible history that it has. Yeah, and it's that connection to Blomkamp and his own personal history that makes the movie so so gripping and why I think a lot of like the, the larger you know, themes of it work better than overall in Elysium just because it, it's more personal to him. But when you talk about like the the ties into you know real life events. Uh, of course, he went into this with the expectation of you know alluding to a lot of the issues in South Africa's past and this and that. But as he said, it wasn't intended to be quite as visceral as it turned out. But I think the first week they were out there shooting was the largest mass murder in the history of South Africa. A bunch of uh, black South African residents attacked a refuge that had been set up for uh, Zimbabwe, Zimbabweans, and killed every single one of them. So even though they didn't change the script or anything, just the general attitude of the actors and the filmmakers changed because of that, because that was just always in the back of their mind as they were filming the movie, and it changed a lot of the performances on the screen. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not just that. It's the the locale, everything. I mean... The, the set that they used for District 9 was um, an actual place where they had just moved a whole bunch of people out of. Mm-hmm. And, and was, they didn't build that, anything. That was slums that people were living in. <laughs> like, that, that hits you. And mm-hmm. when you know that going in, when you're watching it, it's always in the back of your head. Like real people were living in these shacks and it's like, oh my God, once again, how privileged we are here and in a lot of other places around the world. But wow, in comparison, Jesus. <laughs> I, I could not imagine. Like, like the scene where they find uh, early in the film when they're going through all the houses and they find the, the hatchery or whatever where the eggs are growing yeah. and they're like feeding off the dead cow. That wasn't a prop. That was a cow laying on the side of the road that they decided to just put in there. Like when um, when Vincus opens the door. That's perfect. I'm casting that cow. That's not acting. It actually smelled. (laughs) And like throughout the throughout the movie, they're like, you know, when you see the butcher chopping up the sheep's heads, you know, they didn't. That wasn't a fake sheep's head. That was the head of a dead sheep that was there when they took over the place. Yeah, it's it's funny because when I watched it again, I watched it again yesterday and uh just to prep for this. And and I remember when we watched this initially my wife and I. And so when we were when I wanted to watch this again and prep for the show, she was saying, "Well, I'll watch it with you." And my son too was saying, "I haven't seen it. I'd like to watch it." I was telling my wife, I was like, "You didn't like it that much the first time." And she went, well, "I don't remember." And I went, "Trust me. 
but if you want to watch it, fine. And then we start watching it. And there's a lot of moments where there's that looking away and that, Ooh, my God. And I'm going, you forgot how visceral this is. <laughs> Haven't you? There's a lot of exploding people in this. movie. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it's funny because watching it again yesterday, knowing a lot more about it than the first time I watched it, it was, it was, it was fun to analyze it a little bit more and think about the kind of impact that it would have had had it been filmed anywhere else in the world. Because this is your, like, no, I shouldn't say traditional, your typical, um, like, could have been your typical Hollywood Will Smith blockbuster kind of show filmed somewhere in the States. And it would have lost so much of its power. So many, so much of the layered effect that you get from watching it of, there's so many things going on here. One of the great quotes that I read about this uh, from Chris, what is it? Chris Mikesell uh, from a, a newspaper in Hawaii. And he wrote, substitute black, Asian, Mexican, illegal, Jew, or any number of different labels for the word prawn in this film. And you will hear the hidden truth behind the dialogue. Prawn, of course, being what they call the aliens which is a derogatory term for them referring to these kind of creatures that are in South South America or South Africa. So it's true when you look at the, the, the importance of that in the film, because it's a large part of it to the point where the, the main character regains his humanity as he's losing it. Like there's, there's so much there that, it would have lost that had it been filmed anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Although there is the interesting point to be raised that as he's transforming, it's not necessarily Vicus is becoming a better person. But since the prawns are an insect type race and known to have you know a hive mentality, maybe it's just his biology is changing the way he's acting towards the other prawns and not his actual character changing. And since it's never explained one way or the other, I really like that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Although, I, I, to me, it makes more sense. Oh, it, that it, he thematically, understands yes, it better. Yeah, you leave that that uh, that air of indecision up there. That even with all this, is would Vicus change? Because a lot of people are very hard to change, even when put into extreme circumstances. Well, by not telling you, it's a lot less cliche as mm-hmm. well. Because if you put it through as, oh, he's becoming better because of this, then you have that that trope. But by not telling you and leaving it open so that you can interpret it how you think is best, then it neatly avoids that kind of thing. So then, yeah, obviously, as we're saying, that the main character, who is basically just a manager, he's the manager for the Department of, <laughs> of Alien Affairs, gets put in charge, obviously because he's married to the, the boss's daughter, and he is completely clueless, but played brilliantly by Charlton yeah. Copley. He is, he was also in Elysium. We'll talk about that afterwards. And basically director Blomkamp has known him for a very long time, worked with him in South Africa. They, they went to school together and he's the one that actually produced some of uh, Blomkamp's work, short films, including alive in Joburg. So it made sense for him to be in there, but he's just fantastic. And not knowing who he is for us here makes you slip into believing that the documentary feel 
because it's not like it's Brad Pitt talking to you, pretending like it's a mm-hmm. documentary. It's some dude that you have no clue who he is. And he plays the dork so well that it just fits and you're like, this this is fantastic. And that's why it's so weird seeing him in future roles, Elysium. He was also an A-team. He was one of the highlights of that god-awful movie. And it's like, I I still have a hard time seeing him as anything other than this middle management doofus. He yeah. was so perfect. Yeah. And, and it's funny because when you watch Elysium afterwards, it's it's jarring when you realize he's dreams of the characters and how well he pulls it off. Yeah. So like, I mean, kudos to him. Keep working with him, Blomkamp. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you have this middle manager who winds up he he goes into I love that they're serving notices. Eviction <laughs> notices to all the tenants in District Nine to move them. So he goes in to to help with this and to, to lead the camp. And then he winds up, of course, in typical dark fashion, getting this fluid sprayed all over him, which was distilled from stuff that was dropped from the, the mothership and winds up slowly changing into one of these, these aliens first with his hand and whatnot. I, I really, I don't want to complain too much about this movie because I, enjoyed it so much every time i see it i really like it but it's one of those like obviously it's cliched kind of it's just i don't know it comes off it's doing so well up until that point and then you're like yeah but then that's the whole point of the story after is him switching over it's so integral to it but it's like and when it initially happens you're thinking oh not one of these they make it work but initially that was my thought when i first saw it well, the way it was actually handled, though, I thought was fantastic. You know, the initial shock of you know the reveal, and we, even before that, you see the you know the slow changing like body horror stuff going on to him. I mean, honestly, like this is some of the most personally disturbing effect work I've ever seen. I mean, it, it's up there with you know some of the stuff like American Werewolf and paris where it's just like it's uncomfortable to watch some of the stuff he's picking off his own fingernails yeah. i i freaking out i was like no nah, no nah, that's, that's too much <laughs> no, it's but, it, but the way the flap it was played, of skin off yeah the the way the the effects were done the way copley acted around it like while the the story trope may have been uh, a bit you, you could do with or without it the way it was actually portrayed in the film is what sold it and 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 it's one of those again i can't stress this enough like you can't take it out that's 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 the film so you yeah it it has to happen it's just initially when at least when i saw it it was like ah not this kind of thing but then they make it work and that's all that matters i've said this again with chris how many times in the comic book podcast too it's it's all right if you're using a tired old trope or whatever it's what you do with it though if you can tell an interesting story or put a nice twist on it you got me. That's fine. And this does that in spades. Yeah. So everything that happens from then on, you do again get the cliches again with management being this evil, the government evil corporation kind of stuff where they're going to harvest him and whatnot. You have the evil weapons dealers that are going to eat him. If it's not one, it's the other. <laughs> uh, the, the be- No, the, one of the... I have, to, I have a hard time saying like it's one of the funniest parts of the movie because it's one of the most horrible is you know that instant where he stops being a person and just becomes an asset and like they pretty much immediately went hmm 
let's test out the weapons and, you know, strap him to the chair yeah. and use the cattle prod on him to get him to pull the trigger on the weapons. Like it, it was awful. It was disturbing, but it was like darkly hilarious too. Believable too, sadly. Yeah. So the, the highlights of the film are the relationship that he has with the aliens. And even before he starts changing, you see that in how he deals with them. He gets a little tough with the character that's Christopher early on, threatening his son kind of thing if he doesn't sign the eviction. But you can still see when he's talking, he's still he's still trying to be friendly. <laughs> so I the, think that's more of an act than his actual character. Though. I don't I mean, think so. Because when you see how happy he is all the time at the beginning and all that, it just kind of fits. Well, There's that, no that happiness comes more from him thinking he's a much more important oh, yeah, there person is than that, he yeah. actually is. And yeah, he's happy with his situation and some of that you know joy is carrying over into his demeanor. But I, I think at the end of the day, honestly, he wouldn't care about the prawns one way or the other. I, okay, don't mistake me. I'm not saying that there's like attachment or things like that, mm-hmm. but still friendly and whatnot the more of the attachment comes later on but even then like he when he feels he's been betrayed by or lied to by christopher he has no problems knocking him out granted he's under he's under a might bit of stress at that point (laughs) things aren't going his way (laughs) and he's already started changing more and then the problems with the wife and and if it's not one thing it's another but the relationship between him and christopher and the son are what make the show I mean, it gets a little formulaic towards the end where they have to have the big battle with everybody involved kind of stuff. Sure, but inside of that, you have this relationship and how he feels about them to the point of trying to hold off the military force while Christopher gets to take off with his son. So it's that relationship that actually cements the deal for me later on. Yeah. So and, and you get a mech outfit. Somebody fighting in a mech. One of the coolest friggin' mechs ever. <laughs> I think it was awesome. I was watching it again this time and I was going, Oh, this is where Vince is having his wet dream. This is <laughs> This is uh, honestly, no. It was you know, the the the, the whole yeah, movie together it was fantastic. The mech was just the cherry on top. <laughs> Because, I mean, it was hilarious, like, how armed to the teeth the thing was. And, and it, it's, it, as we saw throughout the later portions of the movie with the, when the prawn weaponry comes in, humans are fragile little fleshbacks. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, these weapons were designed to work on beings with exoskeletons. <laughs> I like how so it, the amount of force that that's constantly portrayed against the, the I don't want to call them the poor mercenaries, but my God. <laughs> the... the when it initially is holding all the bullets, like magnetism kind of <laughs> in this big ball that's ever growing. <laughs> and I was going, why hasn't somebody invented something like that already? <laughs> like, seriously, <laughs> how hard can this be? These guys did it with, you know, computers laying on the ground. <laughs> Old 8088s, for Christ's sakes, we should be able to do this. <laughs> Broken mouse. Come on. <laughs> Keyboard without a cue. <laughs> The technology's there. We just have to figure it out. Tony Stark built this in a cave with Yeah, <laughs> That's right. We're behind the times in mechs is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, so anyway, so yeah, this it's, it's a fantastic show. Once you know a little bit more 
about it as well, you can really appreciate kind of what goes into it as well as the stuff when Blomkamp's talking about it too. Like he had said he wanted the aliens to definitely be, um, um, something that we could still relate to. They had to, he wanted them to be insect like, but, but they had to walk on two legs. They had to still have features that though, though they were kind of, disgusting to look at we could still empathize with them and i like the quote that he says says unfortunately they had to be human-esque because our psychology doesn't allow us to really empathize with something unless it has a face and an anthropomorphic shape like if you see something that's four legs you think it's a dog that's just how we're wired if you make a film about an alien force which is the oppressor of or aggressor and you don't want to sympathize with them you can go to town so creatively that's what i wanted to do but story wise i just couldn't and again it's all logic that's true and so the design a lot went into the design of these aliens to still be something that we could be repulsed by and yet still feel for that that's a guy that gets it yeah he's seen et <laughs> et doesn't repulse anybody what's wrong with you E.T. scared the crap out of me when I was five years old. Are you serious? The scene where he first beats him with the flashlight and the head pops up and then, ah, nah, no, I wasn't having that. And then I fell in love with him and then my heart such was broken and then I cried wuss. for the next week. You I don't want to talk about E.T. Wow. <laughs> Two weeks from now, guess what we're watching? <laughs> <laughs> right after 47 Ronin. <laughs> Can you watch E.T.? <laughs> The, the only upside to that is knowing you're going to have to watch it too. Maybe. <laughs> um, so maybe anyway. I'll just watch something else and talk about that for half the episode. <laughs> okay, enough. People don't know what the hell you're talking about. I don't care. People should be listening to all of our podcasts. We're amazing. Listen to Comic Book Informer. Last few podcasts, I know what we're talking about. Anyways. So widely acclaimed, very well reviewed, nominated for four Academy Awards, seven British Academy Film Awards, five Broadcast Film Critics Association nominations, and a Golden Globe even. So hopes were pretty high for his second film, which is Elysium. So this one, written and directed by him and produced by him, in addition to a few other people. Uh, And this one, of course, starring most notably Matt Damon, Jodie Foster, and Again, go play again. This one here is way different. It is not a mockumentary. It is a sci-fi adventure film. It is meant to titillate the crowds that just want action at times and not be quite as thought-provoking, which is not to say that it does not insert some of that into the stories because, again, you have this story of the divide of wealth where you have the rich living in space on Elysium while the poor live on the overpopulated and devastated earth. And even though that's the, 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 they're not even there, the wealthy still rule from the sky with robots on earth, which are quite funny at points, especially the dudes at the immigrant at the, uh, 
the parole <laughs> the officer officer was, was great. That was hysterical. Um, but yeah, it's, it's way different. It tackles some topics serious, some serious topics, but at its heart, it's still a sci-fi action thriller kind of show. Yeah, I, I really appreciated all the you know the sci-fi elements, you know the, the future tech and all that stuff. But yeah, as far as you know the the message and the emotional core of the movie, it just didn't quite work on the same level that District Nine did. Yeah, and you could tell too from the like the Rotten Tomato score you're looking at a seventy nine or sixty nine percentage, which isn't bad, but it's certainly not fantastic. So it's kind of I like mean, eh, it's all right, take it or leave it. At the end of the day, it's still one of the better major movies I saw this year. Yeah. Just it in comparison to District 9, I don't think anything could stand up. Well, they're such different films as well. Like I watched all – I bought the Blu-ray for this. So I, I watched the extras in terms of how it was done and the, the thought that went behind it. Um, a little, There was a little bit too much fluff about how great everybody's – was to work with, which is, you know, I can appreciate you want to be nice to, but yeah, I, I get, I zone out when they start talking about how awesome everybody is. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so we get it. Every single person in Hollywood is a shining paragon. Of well, at least Matt I'm Damon sure is. That's accurate. Matt Damon is awesome, apparently. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, it was still interesting to hear them talking about um, the director, Blomkamp, because, not because of the, oh, he's great to work and all that, but to hear just how involved he is with damn near every stage, including the obvious special effects, because that's how he got his start, is doing special effects work in Canada, too, of all places. So he knows visual special effects, and he is involved every step of the way when they are talking about how things are going to look in the movie, how it's going to work, and then when they come with different ideas or different, you know, pictures for just the... the, the conceptual art and whatnot it even changes certain things how he writes and directs them to include more or less or whatever kind of thing so it was kind of cool seeing just how involved he is in every step of that visual effects process so that when you're seeing something like it quite likely went through his hands at some point but you he's also involved elsewhere you see so many movies where the director is super involved with the effects work but kind of forgets about everything else. And that's the one thing that at least so far Blomkamp hasn't done. Yeah, yeah. So this one here is the main story protagonist is a character by the name of Max, and that's Matt Damon. And he's basically this former car thief on parole living in L.A. Um, I like that because everything's devastating and all that, they needed to find an L.A. that looked like it had been hit by a freaking bomb kind of thing. And they chose Mexico. <laughs> It fit. <laughs> and, and it's funny because they, they showed the, the, the scouting for the zones and all that because like all of the scenes, the Elysium scenes are filmed in Vancouver. And like that's where Vancouver, Victoria, I think you said Vancouver, but it might have been Victoria. Either way, BC. And that's where he's. Yeah, Elysium was Vancouver. Yeah. And then the, the, the slums are in Mexico, but they also used Mexico for the big freaking open fields that they use periodically when they're doing the ship chases and different things like Mm -hmm. that. And that's like a big garbage dump and it smelled. So did you see this? Did you watch this? I actually didn't watch that. Oh my God. It's (laughs) terrible because it smelled so bad and it was so terrible that they had to, everybody had to wear like face masks 
or bandanas over the mouths just to keep as much as they could out of their mouths and, and, and nose. And meanwhile, you have the actors who have to take the brunt of it like all the time. <laughs> like they, they can't be wearing – Damon is walking around breathing this crap in and that's quite literally what it yeah. is. But it made the scenes that much more awesome when you're seeing the ships flying around and they used helicopters – for the scenes with the jump ships to create that reality that you get from the wind being pushed down and crap flying around and whatnot. So in terms of the cinematography, it's phenomenal for that. One of these days, Blomkamp's going to shoot a movie in a nice place like yeah, New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody he's ever worked with before are going to go, oh, come on. You couldn't have done that with us. <laughs> so you, uh, so yeah, so Max gets caught inside of a robot assembly and gets exposed to deadly levels of radiation, giving him five days to survive. From there, he decides that he needs to get up to Elysium because they get these fancy dancy beds. that can do everything, including reconstruct a face and they can heal you from anything. So he needs to get up there and get himself healed. Now, while this is happening, this is where we get, the intro to the Secretary of Defense for Elysium, which is which is Delacour, Jessica Delacour, played by Jodie Foster, with the most ridiculous accent. <laughs> I I can't. Why what, does Jodie Foster always get characters with the worst accent? What is that? What okay? What accent is she trying to do? I it, don't. I mean, it would. You don't know either. It's, it's kind of Frenchish. No, it because, wasn't. But well, you, you have some of the elements of that because you know, they're that's like that they speak French because that's what all rich, stuck-up people do. <laughs> but, Excuse me. I don't know. It was it was just really awkward. It, it it I couldn't place it as anything. I was wondering if she was trying to do a South African accent, and I don't think so. It was just it. It didn't. It, 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 you see. I can't even exactly. There, 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 there no are no words. words for it. Yeah, it was terrible to the point where every time she spoke, it snapped me out of the movie. Because, like the the movie is good, I enjoyed it, but I would not rate it that that high. It, it really was a turn the old brain off and just relax and enjoy a action sci-fi action flick kind of thing, which is fine. That's actually what I was in the mood for when I watched it. And and I could appreciate the, the little nuances here and there that he was trying to toss in kind of thing. So I allowed myself to get sucked right into it. But every time she spoke, it was like I was right back out and going, what the hell is she doing? Yeah, like if this Somebody shoot her off. Gotten, if this is the movie we'd gotten six years ago as Halo, like something of this level, everybody would have been ecstatic with it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and this is where the intro Kruger, who is Copley again. More buffed up too. And he is just the most insane, badass sleeper agent you've ever seen. (laughs) All the trailers I saw, everything for it, I had to be told to my face that was Charlotte Copley. Like, I was like, no, there's no way that's the dork from District 9. That is this, you know, hulking, bearded man beast in this movie. (laughs) But then it's funny, like, going back and watching District 9 afterwards. You can see that, you know, he's, I mean, he's an average sized person, but the way he acts as Vickus makes him seem a lot smaller than he actually is. It's funny because when you see Kruger, like, again, 
you're snapped out of the film and it's like, you know, he's going up against Matt Damon <laughs> and it's like, I believe he can take out freaking Jason Bourne because <laughs> back of my head, that's who Damon is always going to be. Not the freaking kid from the first movies. No, it's going to be freaking Jason Bourne kicking ass. So then I see Kruger and it's like, oh yeah, he can take him <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and Kruger plays more the military guy. So he's got the knowledge of how to fight. And they talked about that during the extras, whereas Damon is playing more just a three street thug. So he's throwing his punches wild and things like that, whereas Krieger's just much more precise and hurting him. And it was cool. I liked it. Yeah, that's why I say, especially early on when you know Damon has the power suit and you know, he's just brute forcing his way through everything in his path. And then Kruger, with really minimal enhancements, I mean he has like some implants and stuff, just owns him in a fight, you know, <laughs> puts him down, is ready to cut his throat <laughs> with no effort. Yeah. So going back, what we've gotten at this point now is we find out that Jodie Foster has gotten the sleeper agent to take down some ships that were trying to break into Elysium. And so from, from Earth, he's got these kick-ass rockets and takes out a few of them, but not all of them. And that's where you're finding out um, the power struggles that are going on on Elysium because the Elysium president, um, he doesn't approve of this, of course, and he is he has some serious problems with Foster. It was probably the accent he hated too. Brings up the worst in people. And basically it's one of those, this is your last chance kind of thing. So she decides, screw that, she's going to get a virus created that can reboot Elysium. Now, this was another facepalm moment that took me out. <laughs> They're going to create a virus that they can put into the computer that's going to reboot all of Elysium in one shot. And then somebody just has to enter in on a keyboard or whatever. Who's in charge? And suddenly they're the president. Really? I was all right with the USB brains. Okay. <laughs> I was all on board with USB brains. I was okay with that. But this, this was like, oh, come on. Seriously? That that oh, was the I'm most. Sorry, the screen says you're in charge now. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was such a fa- like so. So the, she gets this from the guy who's actually running the weapons or the robot manufacturer on Earth, where Damon got exposed to the to the radiation, and so she hires him to do this, saying, "You do it, and you'll get all the contracts from for what was it, 250 years kind of thing, yeah, some uh, ludicrous amount yeah. of time." So he develops this. This is a pretty smart dude, apparently, and has all of the working knowledge of lithium and everything, and then stores the crap in his brain in the USB part of his brain. And uh, well, actually, he was Bluetooth. He was, you know, he upgraded. Was it, or did he plug it in? Well, you're talking now. about uh, Carlisle still. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He just had like the little thing behind his ear. He didn't actually have you're to plug right, anything in. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Damon wasn't that lucky. He was old school. <laughs> he wasn't even USB. <laughs> that was like parallel port. <laughs> There's little lights flash. <laughs> Wait to remove. <laughs> you have to remove it safely. <laughs> so anyways, um, so, so in order to get a passage to Elysium, 
Damon strikes a deal with, with quote unquote spider. That's very original name there too. Who is the guy, the broker who takes care of different information, different sending people off planet and all of that crap. And so he has to go after Carlotta to get this information, which leads to a lot of hijinks and gunfire and everything that you'd expect kind of thing. And he manages to get the information into his brain, but it's highly encoded and encrypted. So they initially think that it's it's nothing, but they figure out that it's fairly important and and go from there. Again, there's a lot of little cliched stuff that happens throughout, like not just all of that. But then, of course, Max has to get bashed up. So he goes to an ex-girlfriend who just happens to be a nurse, conveniently. That's the way the world works, Roger. So that she can patch him up. And then, of course, she gets found out that she's helping him. So then she gets taken over by Kruger and his crew. Well, of course, to use as a pawn. And then, of course, to lead to the inevitable sleazy physical abuse implications throughout because how else are you going to define that these are bad men? Not that they're slaughtering everybody without remorse. No, because they're threatening to rape this woman. Again, yeah, I, I thought they were just misunderstood until that point. That's the thing. There was, there was hope for them is what you're saying. Yeah. A yeah. good I counselor mean, could have may, fixed them. Maybe, you know, they were just, that, that's how society is in the future. That's how you say hello by shooting someone. So, Again, there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, I'm, I was in for it, but then it took me enough out that it was like, ah, come on. You, you did so freaking well with District 9. There's too many little things where you're kind of face palming or thinking. And, and seriously, when that, when Elysium reboots, I know that they were going for, oh my God, look, it's all black. Oh, it's coming back on. <laughs> no, that was not the feel. The feel was my my hand on my face going, you're freaking kidding me. Come on. <laughs> and, of course, the stuff at the end, too, with him when it's like, I know, I know. <laughs> like, I know it's going to kill me. I know. It's a one-way street. <laughs> it's like, oh, Matt. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a point around halfway through the movie where you just kind of have to give up on a lot of the higher concepts and just enjoy it for what it is. And I did. I don't want to make it seem like I wouldn't recommend this to folks. I would watch it. It's a fun show, but be careful of your expectations and be prepared to facepalm because there's a bunch of points where you will have no choice. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, but, so. you know, you get to see guys in exoskeletons duking it out and okay. sword fights and awesome. Now, they made a big deal about these exoskeletons as well and the design and the, the special features. And they were talking about all the work that went into designing them and that you've never seen anything like this in film before and, and all that. And how gripping it is when you're seeing the, the freaking bolts going into his body and stuff like that. Now, that said... I really wasn't impressed. What about you? It was average. I mean, it's, I'm pretty sure I've seen something like that in film before. (laughs) I really wasn't impressed at all because you're thinking even the one that Kruger put on, which theoretically is supposed to be some freaking badass of an outfit. They're Hulk outfits, they call them, which doesn't fit either. But even that one is still this clunky, 
thing that protrudes out and away from the body and it, I don't know, you're, you're, again, you're looking at 2154. You're telling me that they could build Elysium in the freaking sky with machines, these tanning beds that heal faces that have been exploded by grenades, but they can't create exoskeletons that are like a second skin on your body you have to have these like pistons and shit (laughs) that were taken out of a cadillac (laughs) it made sense for matt damon's to be bulkier and kind of hydraulic looking absolutely but yeah kruger's it was just like like it looked nicer but yeah there there definitely could have been some it was the same thing except with a better coat of paint it had a carbon fiber sheet over the top (laughs) It was just like... And glowy Iron Man light. Oh, yeah. They made such a big deal, and I was thinking, that is the clunkiest looking piece of shit. I, I would, it was terrible looking. I was not impressed at all. At all, at all, at all. Mm-hmm. I, I, 2154, I'm not expecting hoverboards, but they better have freaking better exosuits <laughs> because that shit didn't impress me. <laughs> <laughs> And then you have the great big fights as well at the end too, of course, between him and Kruger. Very, very well choreographed with exploding bits. It was all right, but so predictable kind of thing that it didn't really, it's not edge of your seat kind of stuff. I know that's what they were going for, but it it really wasn't at that point. Especially ultimately, you know, the good guy is always going to win. The bad guy is always going to lose. So, well, this too, the, the, the good guy is dying. He's falling as he's walking. Kruger's jumping 50 feet above him. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I don't know. It was again, it was, I know that they were going for a lot more, but it was eh, pretty standard fare, which is yeah. again, why I think that it's like, again, you're looking at your 69% Rotten Tomatoes, your 61% Metacritic. And which is, again, it's not that it's a bad film. It's just that, it was very much just par for the course for what you'd expect for that type of film, but not par for the course for what we'd expect from a director who had wowed us with a first film that was a District 9. Yeah. So, all right. Any parting thoughts? I can't wait to see his next movie. What is he doing for the next one? I, I read the next name movie is called Chappie. Yes. It's uh, due to come out, I think, next year. I, like it just started filming and the plot synopsis is after being kidnapped by two criminals during birth, Chappie becomes the adopted son in a strange and dysfunctional family. Chappie is preternaturally gifted, one of a kind, a prodigy. Prodigy. Say that again. <laughs> he, al- <laughs> he also happens to be a robot. <laughs> so I don't know, some sort of like kind of AI sort of thing with uh, Charlotte Copley voicing the robot. Okay, are you making that part up? I am not making that part up. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> and he's got to have like like the mockumentary filming, but like you get some of the filming is done as if it was through his eyes kind of thing. So it looks uh, a little maybe grainy or whatever, or you get the special effects kind of of how he sees and you get the story from his perspective. Oh, do it. Neil, you have my permission to take that idea. <laughs> Pretend like it was yours all along. (laughs) 
All right. With that, we are going to wrap up for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. You can find the show notes at Popcorn Ronin. Of course, leave us some comments and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. movie, TV, and anime reviews, please make sure to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their comic book informer podcast and Internet Dragons TV gaming videos. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, manellijamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. <laughs> <laughs>